Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You're telling me, producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a lot of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchase is made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We covered a lot of great movies that were adapted from other material in season 10. Our originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals is where listeners can purchase the source material behind all our adapted film discussions. It helps support the show at no extra cost when you buy through our links. In our foreign language Best Picture nominees series, we looked at several adaptations, including Z, The Postman Il Postino, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Letters from Iwo Jima. We hit the high seas with In the Heart of the Sea from Nathaniel Philbrick's nonfiction book for our Aquatic Killers series. Eh, definitely a weaker entry in that series. I bet the book is better. Oh, me too. Member bonus episodes featured adaptations like Gone Girl, The Russia House, Ivanhoe, The Hot Rock, The Big Heat, and Naked Lunch. Oliver Stone brought not just original stories, but also adaptations like Conan the Barbarian, Scarface, Year of the Dragon, Eight Million Ways to Die, Talk Radio, and Born on the Fourth of July. Mary Heron's disturbingly insightful American Psycho was adapted from the Brett Easton Ellis book. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Oh my God, it even has a watermark. And of course, more Stephen King with The Mist, The Green Mile, and The Shawshank Redemption for our King a la Darabont series. Find links to all of these books and more adapted films on our Originals page. That's thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports our show. Get the full list of books that we've talked about and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals. Now your mama told me what happened to you yesterday. How the hell are you going to get fired on your day off? I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel on True Story FM. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Friday is over. Just give us three and a half minutes.
maybe four. Come here. What's up, big Parm? I mean, big one. If you ain't got my money, I'm killing you and him. You don't drag me into this? I'm used to stealing her. Get in, get out. Here come Debo. Give me your stuff. You want me to ask for my bike back? What bike? The one I let you use a couple of weeks ago. That bike. So we're back, uh, back after our little break. Andy, how, how'd you do? Do you feel good? Do you feel strong? I haven't been watching enough movies, and I haven't been talking with you about movies enough. So no, I don't. I feel weak. Talking with you <laughs> about movies is, is my weak. strength. Oh, oh, that does my heart such good, Andy. I'm so glad that we are back and we're starting out. Uh, we, we posted our, our, our second half series uh, breakdown a, a while ago. It is something else, really something else. Uh, yes. We've got lots of foreign pictures in there. <laughs> we sure do. We also have some monster films in there, but we're starting with a film that is very close, I think, to our hearts, and that is 1995's Friday. Why did F. we Gary tell Gray. me again? Why did we choose this one? You know, you showed this. We you had seen this in college, and then you we you owned it, and we watched it in your room in the dorms, and yes. just laughed our butts off. Mm -hmm. It is so funny, and it's just it's so memorable. The the characters are just 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 like peak comedy characters that are instantly just ones that you will remember forever because they're just so clever, so well-written, so real. And I think because of that, this was one that I think we had wanted to jump into and we hadn't seen the other movies. And so we're like, well, at some point, let's do this series. And then we heard that they were planning a fourth one. We're like, well, let's wait until that fourth one is going to uh, actually happen. And unfortunately, uh, it's not going to happen now. At least it doesn't sound like they are. We'll talk about them more as we kind of get to the closing of this series. Um, but uh, for now, it's just, it's a great start to this. And we're like, you know what? Since it doesn't sound like they're doing a fourth one, let's get it in the line and talk about this uh, these films. And so... Uh, we are here to talk about uh, a fantastic stoner comedy from 95, Friday. Stoner comedy, hood comedy. Uh, I This is a, a one of those just wonderful uh, launchpad movies where so many actors in here. There are actors with just legendary comedy careers that were already in here, but this is a first for a number of uh, performers in, in this film. And uh, it's just a delight to see them come to life. And, and especially now that we know where, they're, where they've come from. Uh, this movie started with uh, the... Uh, American sports reporter Alana Rizzo, who worked for me at the University of Colorado at Boulder, and she came to me one day and she did a line from this movie, and I didn't know what it was, and she said, drop everything, we're literally going into your room to watch this movie right now. And we had <laughs> a Friday party, and that's how it started. Alana Rizzo is now with the Los Angeles Dodgers broadcast team. She's an Emmy-winning reporter on Spectrum Sportsnet, but she's also a massive Friday fan. You heard it here first. Uh, so, I this movie tickles every bone. It is not... I, I feel shame sometimes watching it. It's not uh, great. <laughs> it's not... <laughs> Shut up. It's not a right movie. It's not a right movie. And yet I feel so good when I watch it. Is that, is that okay? Is, it a, is this a guilty pleasure? I don't think so. 
I think, no, because I, I don't think, uh, it's hard to say, I feel like guilty pleasures fall into kind of a cult thing where there's not a huge audience for them. Um, you know, cult film, there wasn't a huge audience when it first came out, but it built later down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas a guilty pleasure, I, I feel like it never really had that. and <laughs> it's, or, or maybe it did. It's just, it's generally reviewed as a pretty bad film. Um, it's just one that you happen to really like. And this film, I mean, it was popular. It still is popular. It got great reviews. I don't think it's, I, I think yeah. that it's, it's just it's, a funny movie. It's a it's a funny movie, and it's doing exactly what it set out to do in the genre that it set it out set out to do it in. And I think because of that, I think what you know, uh, Ice Cube and DJ Pooh uh, put down on paper and wrote, and what F. Gary Gray directed, I, I think they just they captured a world that. Uh, is just so full of life, such interesting characters from beginning to end. And that I think, you know, people, I think Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society are fantastic films, but they definitely set a a tone for what Life in the Hood movies were going to be like. I mean, even if you look at like Colors, uh, something like mm-hmm. that, it definitely sets a vibe for what a hood movie is. And it just, it's not necessarily what it really is for everybody. And, and what Ice Cube really wanted to do, uh, along with really, we have to say Patricia Charbonnet, who's uh, his, uh, she produced the film. She had been working with him back in the NWA days. And they really kind of said, you know what, there's this whole other world that people aren't seeing that that of the neighborhood that they grew up in. And they're like, let's tell that story. And so, so Cube um, sat down to write this with, uh, with DJ Pooh. And he had um, known F. Gary Gray from, uh, he was a music video director that he had done some videos for them with NWA and they wanted him to come along because uh, Cube felt that he's, he had a good vision for it. And they all grew up kind of in the same neighborhood. And so they're like, let's make something about the positive side of this neighborhood. And it just, it ended up feeling incredibly authentic. These characters, it's just, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a stoner comedy. It's 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 exactly the types of characters in that, but they they end up having so much more for me sense of purpose in the story and just sense of life than you would in like the Cheech and Chong sorts of films, right? I mean, Craig and Smokey they feel like real people. They don't necessarily feel like just <laughs> Cheech and Chong running around trying to get more more weed and. I, I don't know. I just I feel like because of that authentic nature of the neighborhood, it allows for sure the story is not necessarily like the strongest sort of screenwriting type of story, but it it, it allows for something that feels very authentic. I, and I think that just in terms of the character development, what Cube uh, has done with Craig that he is a character that um, you know that provides a sort of yang to tucker's yin right i mean he doesn't do a lot of uh, smoke a lot of pot he doesn't uh, do a lot of drugs he's uh he he drinks right he he drinks that's his thing right and uh, yeah. uh, and so i think that's uh, that's sort of a fascinating look it's not like everybody in this community is doing drugs and you don't see them um doing things like uh you know there are a lot of little kids in this movie running around and yet you don't see uh, drugs being dealt to kids, right? That when you see the ice cream truck come by, driven by the drug dealer, he's legit selling candy to these kids. Uh, and and so there there are some images that 
Um, if you go by all of the other drug movies and and properties that we've seen, if you go by The Wire, <laughs> everybody is, um, you know, is buying and selling drugs or trying to catch those that are buying and selling drugs. And this this movie um, softens the edges in, I think, just the right way to make it funny um, and and uh, sort of antiseptic. Uh, to what I think we're used to and what I think we we're challenged by. And so that this sort of storybook kind of fantasy land, he wakes up, he have, we have one day where we get to spend in, it, it, they might as well have had a book cover open once upon a time that we get to spend with these characters and their, their day in the life. Um, it becomes just the ultimate sort of thrill ride that doesn't end in the darkest of the dark levels of violence. It ends in, um, you know, a, a test of, of will and of strength that is rewarding at the end. It's a ride that doesn't end in grief. It ends in, in triumph. And, and we should say, you know, talking about just drugs in the hood, the only real drug that we see is is marijuana. I mean, that's it as far as what they're using, what they're selling. There's nothing stronger than that other than the accidental angel dust. The angel dust, right. Uh, right. Kind of flashback that we have when and, and that's not something that that Smokey even intended to to try. It's just no. the guys he was hanging out with. They uh they had laced a joint with it and he overindulged and went a little buggy. And ends up in a pigeon cage, and it's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So they play that in a way where also it's just like, it's just marijuana. And, you know, right now, I mean, I'm not a pot user, but I am definitely on the side of, you know what? Why does it need to be illegal? It's it's Mm -hmm. kind of nonsensical. You know, people call it a gateway drug and all that, but I mean, it's, it's not any more a gateway drug, I think, than, than alcohol or cigarettes are uh, you know i think that it's, uh, it's wait is uh, it still so it's arizona it's still illegal in arizona well it's it's legal here in uh it's not just like straight up legal it's mm-hmm. a uh, um medical marijuana thing yeah so that yeah so you have to have medical um i don't know what you get for it and medical ids so you can go to the cataracts cataracts yeah, that's right yeah we don't know uh, we're, we're, we're not okay colorado now. though we're not colorado. Yeah, we're it, oregon too yeah um, you, you just have to buy it from, you know, a dispensary, but right. Um, anyhow, but, and so I think that gives it just this air of, uh, just kind of more pleasantness, you know, it allows it to just have fun because it is, because there is this tradition of stoner comedy, right? It's been something that's been around for quite, quite a quite long time. Right. I mean, if you go all the way back to reefer madness in the thirties, that was not funny. It wasn't <laughs> funny. Madness did it wrong. No, I, well, <laughs> it wasn't funny, but. It became funny when yeah. they, it, it, you know, stoners kind of latched onto it and, and it became, I mean, that was definitely not a stoner comedy, but it became something that people watched probably in the 60s and it turned it into a stoner movie because it just was this, this whole anti-drug message was so kind of silly that they almost made it a fun parody yeah. and just got high while watching it. And then, of course, Easy Rider. We got and... to say, because I don't think he said it, 1936 Reefer Madness. So yeah, we've been right. doing this a long time. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but it really took off, I think. There were a few before Cheech and Chong, but when they kicked it off in the in 1978 with Up in Smoke, which is we have referenced in this movie, that really kind of, it, it, slowly, it, it slowly took off. You got more and more pot in movies, but it's definitely been a thing. 
and it's it's kind of this cultural thing now that we just have these stoner films. And so I, I thought this would be a, a nice little thing to look at the common elements of stoner films. Oh, outstanding. And, and, yeah. So this is what, according to Wikipedia, a stoner film is. Many stoner movies have certain elements and themes in common. The template involves a protagonist or protagonist, often two friends in a variation of the buddy film, who have or are attempting to find marijuana and have some task to complete. Check, they have marijuana, and check, they have some tasks to complete. They have to find $200 that uh, that Smokey owes his uh, dealer because they smoked all the marijuana that he was supposed to sell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Often stoner films involve evading authority figures, sometimes law enforcement agents who are portrayed as comically inept, but also parents, coworkers, friends, and security guards who disapprove of the protagonist's marijuana usage, usually out of a greater lack of acceptance of their lifestyle or leisure and innocence. I don't know if it quite fits in here uh, with any of that. Nobody's trying to stop them from smoking, but obviously they're trying to make sure certain people aren't that aware of it, like they're not right. smoking in front of his mom, stuff like that. Um, most serious moments are intended, ironically, often to parody overwrought counterpoints or counterparts in mainstream cinema. The comic story arcs often approach or fall over the line into slapstick. I definitely say that there's some slapstick in this film, but this was something interesting in this film. The serious moments in this film are treated really seriously. There's nothing ironic about them at all, which I think is an interesting uh, thing to talk about as as it relates to this film and how it fits into the kind of this stoner genre. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's funny because it's coming right on the heels of movies like Dazed and Confused and Clerks, right? Like those were early '90s, uh, and this one's smack dab in the middle. Yeah, Dazed and Confused '93, Clerks was. Uh, I don't know if Clerks. I don't know if, the, I don't know if you, I'd call it a, a stoner. I don't think there's any marijuana in it. Is there? Is just the? I guess there. Well, Jay and Silent Bob are they weed dealers? Yeah, I guess so. It's interesting though because it's not it's, listed it, in the stoner film list on the stoner film page on Wikipedia. Oh well, and Wikipedia's Wikipedia's right. backwards. Right. <laughs> well, I just think that that and and I don't know that you would necessarily classify Jay and Silent Bob as or, or Clerks as a stoner comedy necessarily because. It, it, I yeah, weirdly, I don't think of the first doesn't. one about that. Yeah. Maybe it's just because it's, I, I feel like it's about the guys in the the store rather yeah. than Jay and Silent right. Bob. But right, yeah. right. Because they were, they yeah. they definitely kind of they were, got they their were start the from here. I'd say maybe Clerks 2. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which right. is actually listed as a stoner film. Next, according next to Clerks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but I do think there is something to that. Like, what does this movie learn from, from these movies? And what does it say about the 90s, this sort of period that, that we were getting out of these, these stoner films? Because the next one, you know, it was, it was, uh, Mallrats too, um, which was, you know, we, we got more of Jay and Silent Bob and more weed. Uh, and that was toward the end of the 90s. And then my, one of my favorites of the 90s is Jim Brewer in Half Baked, uh, which has more of these incredible misunderstandings. And uh, and uh, that was that kind of wrapped up the 90s. So Friday was smack in the middle of a, a really fun era of movies that are celebrating the hijinks that come with with buddies just high all the time. Yeah, um, right. But but it was a different perspective. And I think that's one of the things that jumps out uh, at me because it it is also 
a hood comedy. It is also this story of these guys is like a love letter to their youth, as you said, right? It's a love letter to, to South Central. It's a love letter to, um, you know, to the good times and the fun times. And I, I watched an interview with, with Ice Cube and he says, you know, comedy was hugely important to the hood hugely important to South Central, hugely important to his youth, because, you know, there was also a lot of grief there, and there was also a lot of pain. And so we had to laugh. We had to figure out how to make each other laugh. We had to figure out, like, what kind of gags and goofs we could play on each other, because, man, if you don't, you're crying. So there was yeah. a lot of laughing at, at, in this time. There was a lot of of messing around and and playing tricks, and and uh, this this was the movie that that celebrated that part of it. And I, I just, there's a lot of joy in this movie as a result. Although well, I, mean, I would say a lot of dark time, dark stuff too. I mean, we do get a drive by. Well, and that's the thing is like, it does go into the darker stuff. You're right. You've got the drive by, you have dad's real serious conversation with Craig about yeah. his gun and how he doesn't need it. And you know, all you need are your fists and everything. And then of course you got that really intense for, <laughs> For a comedy, it gets really dark and intense at the end, in the climax, mm -hmm. when Debo is confronting, well, when I should say, when Debbie is confronting Debo, and then he just backhands her, yeah. and then Craig jumps in uh, in her defense and starts, uh, you know, he and Debo just go at it, and that is like, all of a sudden, like, this intense fight, especially when Craig pulls the gun out, and all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, we just jacked this up to something I wasn't expecting for this stoner comedy. It takes it to this serious place that allows for the life of kind of what people had been experiencing here in this neighborhood to kind of see all the different sides of it. You've got all the humor and everything, but you also have the darkness and you have that serious moment with, with dad and everything. And then Craig kind of puts, you know, gives his mom the gun and he and, and Debo go at it. But it's like, it's, it's real serious. And I like that it takes that turn and allows for that the the le the levity to be balanced with some gravitas it just it makes this feel so much stronger there's an an incredibly natural sensibility to this sort of narrative arc and there's another thing that cube said in the same interview which was uh that he, he said you know when i'm when i'm rapping when i'm putting lyrics down right it it's just uh or rhymes he says rhymes i say lyrics <laughs> I wonder what other differences we have um anyway uh he, he says this is it, it was actually pretty easy to write this screenplay. He said it felt very much like putting just rhyme down on paper, just connecting my brain to the paper, and it just felt really natural. Um, and I, I kind of love that because this, the the just sort of emotional roller coaster that we that we get to go on with these two guys um, feels very natural. Even if there are some things in the actual construction of the film, some of the pacing, some of the editing feels like there's a lot of room in this movie between jokes. That is that that it, in uh, you know I I think had it been made today, it would feel a little bit zippier. Um, but the the actual humanity of the film is uh, in in the hands of some really talented filmmakers to be able to pull this off and make me feel by the time Debo hits Debbie to make me feel like I am a part of this community enough that I'm invested. That is that's that's a treat that they're able for to as many characters as you have in the film, because you yeah. meet a ton 
of people from the small parts like the Jehovah's Witness to the convenience, the Asian convenience store owner uh, mm-hmm. to the two Mexicans driving around. I mean, there are just so many people. Um, and, and like then you have Debo and Red and it's just the list goes on as far as how many people are in this movie. But I feel like I know all of them. Yeah. By the time that this movie is over. And it's only an hour and a half. It's not that long of a movie. But that's what it's it's so impressive, is these characters are just so sharply put together that it's just like, I don't need much with, with Pastor Cleaver as he's running around uh, sleeping with Mrs. Parker. Bernie Mac, what he does with that part and the way that they wrote it, it's like everything that I needed. Bernie Mac that, is oh. a gem. So good. Uh, And well, and, you know, Miss Parker and Mr. Parker, I mean, their relationship, you don't really even hear them speak right apart from her waving across the uh, across the street as she's watering the lawn. But Tony Cox. (laughs) All right. So can we talk about my conflict with Tony Cox? Oh, you have a conflict with him. What is he's so funny? He's just. So funny as an actor, as a comedian, it has been really fun to watch. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's just really a funny guy. Do we have uh, any similar problem with Tony Cox as he's written in here that we do with the little person in the barrel conundrum? Oh, I, no, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, yeah, I just want to make sure you're, you're talking about Billy Barty, right? Yeah. Yep. Billy Barty, From, the Bible uh, salesman. In um, uh, Foul Play. With Chevy Chase. And, right, yes, right, right, right. Right, Goldie Hawn. No, I don't think that that, um, I don't think, I don't think that there's that problem here because, I mean, he's, he's a real, he's never treated as anything other than a husband coming home and catching his wife, uh, cheating. Mm-hmm. Like, there's never anything in it that's written saying, this is because he's a little person that we can now find this funny. Like, I it, I never, ever buy that. I think that he's just written straight up as a character. It could have been played by anyone. And for that, I applaud them for, for uh, putting him in because I think that he he makes the part uh, just, he, he makes it his own. And I think he has a lot of fun with it. Well, that's the thing I wanted to make sure that we were t- on the same page because I think he's incredibly funny. And you're right. None of the jokes were written at his expense. The only thing that happened at his expense in the character was the fact that his wife is having an affair on him. Uh, and, uh, it, it didn't feel like any of the, um, any of his actions were made, were, were put in comically, um, obstructive fashion, right? Yeah, I mean, there was right. nothing that required that would have required a taller person to be able to accomplish his feats of comedy. And he was just straight up funny. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoy their, their pairing together. It is a funny pairing and probably because he is a little person, is it such a funny pairing? It is equally funny that she is so eager to play the field. Um, <laughs> <laughs> both as a, just a sort of a tease across the street with the, the boys in the neighborhood and the pastor, <laughs> Pastor right. Clever. Uh, so there, there's just a lot going on that that really works in, in that little relationship. But again, to your point, I don't think he ever gets any straight lines, right? I, and yet I feel like I know a lot about that family. Yeah, exactly. And, and right. He, he mostly is just yelling at her and and just yelling a bunch of stuff like, you know, just saying stuff about, you know, get out of here. I don't want you in here anymore or whatever mm-hmm. it is, as he's throwing all of her clothes all over the lawn uh, before Ezel comes over and <laughs> just takes it all. 
right. is great. And, and, but I think that's everything we needed. It's just kind of that kind of he's just yelling and it just I don't know. I don't think we needed more from him. All right. Well, I'm, I'm curious to see if their characters come back in the next two films to see um, if there's a continuation mm-hmm. of the relationship, this antagonistic relationship between Mr. and Mrs. Parker. Let's weave in a little bit of our conversation about F. Gary Gray. This is his first feature. Uh, he was uh, making music videos before this. Yep. Uh, what do we think about uh, F. Gary Gray's direction? There are some things that he does in here, some some instinct that we see that that he ends up really developing over the course of his career as a filmmaker. Yeah, I think that he, I mean, this, it was, for all intents and purposes, it was a, it was a decent uh, budget for a film like this, but a lot of the money was going to some of the bigger names and stuff that they had in it. Uh, and so for the production, it was pretty tight, he said. He only had 20 days to get this shot. And luckily, it was their neighborhood. Like, he, he one of the houses that they filmed in front of was where he grew up. It was the one where, uh, in the flashback, we see Debo... Um, punch, uh, I can't remember, I think he punches Red, and um, and he knocks him out. That was in front of his old house, and a lot of the houses, like that whole neighborhood was theirs. So he, he was able to kind of coordinate with the neighborhood, make it work really well, and because of that, even with a short schedule, I think he put a very visually exciting film together. He had a lot of fun with the camera. He allowed just the life to, to kind of shine through the way that it needed to for a comedy, like when when Smokey's tripping on the angel dust and <laughs> it's a little undercranked so as they're going down the street and he's running around in his underwear, his movements are just a little too insane. And then, like, you have a few uh, fourth camera break, or fourth wall breaks uh, by, uh, by Craig, which are just, I, I have to say, I mean, as much as I love Eddie Murphy and his uh, fourth wall breaks that he has in some of his films, I laughed so hard. I counted at least three three times, maybe four times, uh, that Craig breaks the fourth wall and looks directly into the camera. And it's just uh, the way that that Cube looks. I just, I don't know. It works really well. And those are things that I think uh, Gray knows how to capture. He knows how to work with his actors, capture those moments. You got some great POV shots. You've got really creative work. And even like when you have the drive-by, it was done in a way that never felt like overly dark or threatening. I mean, obviously they're shooting at him and stuff, but it he handled it all well where I was just like, you know, this is a guy who right out of the gate knows where to put the camera, how to move the camera and give the camera camera life in a movie that just that needs to have fun and uh, i think that uh, you know he he i think he bounced around a while with different types of films you know he did more serious action things like the negotiator and the italian job but then he goes into comedy like be cool and then of course straight out of compton i think is just uh, you know just a stellar film and then jumps into the fate of the furious and men in black international so he's he's definitely been all over the place with his career but i think right out of the gate he takes his music video sensibilities and he knows how to handle it really well you can tell with this film yeah even the movies that i don't think are that great of his right i i still yeah. feel like uh, he is uh, it it shows a uh, uh, a confident hand, and you can see every bit of that at work in this movie. Um, y- you know, I I don't know. Did you have a, a feel for the negotiator? Did you? Do you have a memory? Of I that didn't really care movie? for it. I, I didn't thought it either. Was, I, I thought I, I thought it was fine. I just thought it was a pretty average film. Yeah, yeah, I did too. And I I feel like I, it's it often 
it confuses me that uh, how many people like that movie more than yeah, I think it's, it's deserved. Uh, <laughs> and then I go back just another year to the Italian job, which I think is is often uh, sort of undermeasured. I had such a delightful time with that movie, that particular remake. I think they did a great job with it, and um, and and it's it's another one of those movies that when you look at just how he moves the camera and how he handles tight space and how he is able to architect uh, blocking in sequences where there are just limited visual resources uh, at a time when they weren't doing as many just CG cheats. Um, he's He is a, a capable uh, visual filmmaker. It's just fantastic. I love being able to connect that particular dot here. I think, I mean, you look at what he did there, and then you look at what he did in The Fate of the Furious, I think that he clearly kind of, there's a through line in those two films, the way mm-hmm. that he kind of moved from there to there. I didn't bother with Men in Black International. I didn't hear many good things about it, but... I thought it was fine. I thought it was really fine. And and uh, fun. I mean, it was it was a frivolous, flamboyant, kind of fun visual spectacle. In terms of finding things to love about it, one of those things isn't the story. <laughs> <laughs> But but Tessa Thompson and uh, and Chris Hemsworth are. It is really fun to see them on screen, not in their Valkyrie and Thor outfits. Right, you can tell it's a character grab. But if you want to see just a really delightful, uh, just special effects romp, again, this is F. Gary Gray knowing how to handle the camera. And uh, just to my last point about the Italian job, he's adapted quite well to uh, the the special effects universe, right? I mean, he's yes. a guy who really understands how to use um how to use and integrate effects. Um so to your point about Fast uh, the Fast and the Furious, like that this is another one of those movies. Yeah, and uh, you know, he is one of those directors who you don't think of very much because of some of these films not being that great. Mm-hmm. You know, he and and because it seems like when you're doing stuff like The Negotiator or Be Cool or Law Abiding Citizen, you do kind of fall into that territory of kind of a director for hire sort of thing, not really standing out. But I mean, you look at what he did for uh for Straight Out of Compton, yeah. he was fantastic. And Stunning. he's one of those people who was kind of called out for when the whole hashtag Oscars So White hashtag uh, came out as being somebody they didn't nominate for Best Director. And so I, and I'd say, you know what? He did a great job with that film. I thought it was great. And not, I mean, going back to the Directors for Hire thing, I mean, he is working at the top of the Hollywood director pool right now. I mean, he did, um, when he directed Straight Out of Compton and Fast and the Furious, or Fate of the Furious. Uh, both of those films set the record for the best opening by a film with a black director. And Fate of the Furious became the first film directed by an African American to gross over a billion worldwide. So he's setting like great records and, uh, you know, directing great films, but he isn't getting the recognition that he deserves. And it all started here. Yeah, it, well, yes, it all started here. And it's one of those things like his track record is one of those that makes me uh, at once question and really get excited about his announced participation in Mask Mobile Armored Strike Command, which is a toy <laughs> property, cartoon property of my youth. <laughs> and I think to, to my myself, too. what is he doing with this movie? Like there is a nostalgia play here that is going to be positively epic 
I, I hope it's one of those that he does something with that I can go, okay, that's that's something that I can really applaud for Gray to yeah. have been involved in, as opposed to something that that is one of these more forgettable kind of Hollywood properties. Yeah, that's a lot of enthusiasm for him. We better find something we don't like about this movie. <laughs> There's so little that I don't like. It just, it works so well. Uh, you know, I just, I have so much fun with everything in the film. Um, but I have to, I, you know, we should talk about some of the characters. And I want to just start with John Witherspoon as Mr. Jones, oh, Andy. the dog catcher. <laughs> Andy, Andy, Andy. You know, sometimes we see actors, this? we see these oh. characters and we say, I want him, like, let's just say he's a Clooney or, a, you know, a, uh, a, I don't know, these these guys that, who was the last one that we decided needed to be our uncle? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was, it was, was, it was uh, recent. For, yeah, it was in, uh, um, it was in Dinner for Schmucks. Uh, the the oh, business yes. guy. Oh, okay. I love him yeah. so much. And now yeah. we're both fools for losing his name. But the the point is, sometimes you see these guys and you say, "I need to be a part of this guy's family. I want him close to me." That's not John Witherspoon. <laughs> no, no, Bruce Greenwood is who we're, you're Bruce Greenwood. About. Yes, Bruce yeah. Greenwood. Uh, this is the straight up funniest father son relationship. I I think I I can remember in these movies. He is just so extraordinarily good. He is probably the most quotable, maybe second to Tucker uh, uh, in in the movie. Uh, I certainly quote him a lot, particularly around the bathroom. <laughs> Jeez. Yes, he has very memorable bathroom moments here. And if there's one thing that I took away on my first viewing of this, it was him calling Chris or calling Craig in to talk with him while he was <laughs> <laughs> dropping stink bombs. Oh, man. And the way that Craig handled it, he just kind of, you know, put his fingers over his nose and just kind of went along with it. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> I've been listening to yours for, or I've been smelling yours. <laughs> you twenty-two can't, can't years. Do the line for twenty-two years. You could smell mine for fifteen minutes, something like that. That's a, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, his whole relationship is really interesting with this family because he's not like the he's he's not a a, a stable patriarch. <laughs> It's <laughs> not not great, and yet they clearly have a, a, a rhythm. I think that they found together that works uh, works pretty well. He's a dog catcher, and when he comes, when he talks about his experience as a dog catcher and how important his his job is to him, um, there's you know there's a thing about John Witherspoon that I mean he's he's a terrific, uh, extraordinary actor in this movie. Like he is unleashed in in a way that I think is is a real gift for this movie. Having him, it's it's a it, it's a part that's sort of uh, punching below its weight. Well, he's got like he he came up with all these little ticks and just the way that he moves and everything about him. Gray said that he was one of the characters, uh, one of the actors that he let do some improv, and he said it just always was better. It just was. Um, he brought so much life to the character. Apparently what he was eating the whole time, uh, he was eating grapes. All grapes. Mm -hmm. That's what uh, he's always counting. Yeah, at the very beginning, he's chewing on grapes. He got a grape yeah. in the corner of his mouth as he's talking right. to his son. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, guy's career, I mean, he started on television with Richard Pryor in 1977. That's a Jeez. career. Yep, yep. 
long yeah, and, he, he, and then he only just passed away uh, last October, uh, October 29th, 2019. Ugh. Sad to say. So sad. Yeah. Uh, have you seen any uh, many other uh, films of his? Well, I mean, he's one of those guys who's like in lots of things because he's, he's kind of a character actor. Hollywood yeah. Shuffle, I'm going to get you, sucker. Bird, uh, House Party, The Five Heartbeats, Boomerang, The Meteor Man. Um, I don't know if I saw a Vampire in Brooklyn. I think I skipped that one. But Bullworth, he was in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ladies Man, Little Nicky, uh, Soul Plane. Yeah, I mean, he's just like tons and tons of of stuff that he'd been in. So it's it's a good number. Well, I just don't remember him in all the parts because they're, I think there are a lot of them are smaller parts. Well, they are smaller parts, but you remember like when you see him in this movie for some reason, like his this part is such a standout part that his face becomes magnetic, and suddenly it's like all you can see are Volkswagens. You know, it's all you can see is um, is Witherspoon. So so sad that we lost him. Nia Long is in this. She plays Debbie. I think that it's great kind of seeing her uh, pop up here. And it's a pretty straight role, but obviously a nice little uh, romantic foil for Ice Cube's character, Craig. She is delightful. She has been in uh, a number of uh, things that uh, I haven't seen. Uh, and yet uh, she's I always remember her in this one. Like, I, I think, uh, you know, she was in uh, a bunch of series that I didn't watch uh, uh, all that much. And so it's it's kind of frustrating that I feel like I really like her and I haven't seen all that much. Yeah, I don't know if I saw any of her the TV stuff. I mean, maybe I don't know, maybe just a when she was like a guest appearance sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly Boys in the Hood was one of her early films. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, what else have I seen of hers? I mean, she's just been in a lot of stuff. The Best Man. Uh, this uh, was Boiler still very Room. early for her. I'm, she'd it only was. been in early, you know, two yeah. or three features, three or four right. features, maybe. Um, not a lot. So, not a lot. She, yeah. But I mean, she's still acting. She was just in the, the sequel to 47, was it 47 Meters Down Uncaged? Yeah. She just was in that. So, uh, yeah, she's still keeping busy. And then, of course, you have Regina King who pops up. She was also in Boys in the Hood and yep. uh, obviously has had a very big career. Uh, you know, just won her Oscar a couple years ago for her supporting part in If Beale Street Could Talk. She's always been one of my favorites. I just love seeing her. Um, I think her part in Jerry Maguire is possibly one of the, the great screen characters. She's just so great in that movie. But, uh, you know, she does a great job here as the sister. I like her. Yeah, I do too. It's so fun to see her and watch her like just sort of sleeping on her elbow to to uh, not mess <laughs> up the hair. Like there's so many wonderful little character bits. Uh, and she treats this character and this neighborhood with confidence. Like that's one of the things I really like about this movie. All of the women, I think, are are strong women. Yes. You know, they they run the place. And uh, I I really enjoy that. Even the the younger sister here. Uh, is a dominating force when she's on screen. Speaking of stronger women, I mean, we got to talk about mom, um, Anna Maria Horsford. Amen was the show that I watched her in. She was in that with Sherman Hemsley. That's what I watched her in. in oh, the, in yeah, the in the eighties, late eighties, late eighties. Because she was she was his his wife. Uh, well, no, because he was a widower. Um. I don't remember who she was, actually. Huh. She was the deacon's daughter and his eventual wife, yes. his The deacon's daughter and eventual wife? That's a weird relationship. No, so let's see. 
<laughs> Let's see. The series revolves around Ernest Fry, a widower deacon of the First Community Church of Philadelphia, who also works as a lawyer. Uh, let's see. He has a single daughter named Thelma. Reuben Gregory is the yeah, new okay. young pastor. Oh, so she is the um, she marries uh, the Reuben, new pastor. The new pastor. Yeah. I don't remember that show very well, but I know I watched it all the time. It was, I don't know, it was on one of like the Thursday lineup or something, but it was in my yeah. lineup of shows. That's where I know her from. I feel like that I figured that out. <laughs> one of those shows. And what was the one with, uh, there were, there were a number of these shows that were on at the same time that I feel like uh, were in easy rotation, uh, in the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. Okay, well, that was. I'm really glad we uncovered that because I'm glad we did, too. and that we I'm have we you know your expertise on Amen <laughs> and the works of Sherman Hensley. Uh, that's what everyone's here for. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we didn't. I, I just want to go back to DJ Pooh, who's in the movie. Also uh, wrote yes, it as Red. Um, as he's in his Red, and uh, I, DJ Pooh surprised me a lot. First of all, he has a a stunning, like an exemplary <laughs> producing career. Yeah, um, he's he's behind some of the greats. Uh, when you cool say J, producing, you're talking music, hip hop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but reading his bio, like he uh, he he just shot into. Uh, pop culture through music and then came and did Friday and Three Strikes and The Wash and then uh, was a co-writer co and producer on Grand Theft Auto San Andreas and uh, a consultant on Grand Theft Auto 5. And uh, uh, he is just talk about an incredible, like multi-talented guy uh, right, able to right. move in and out of, of media and just tell great stories. Uh, I makes me want to see more stuff and he has another moment in this film that caused one of the great reaction <laughs> reactions uh cinematic reactions when he takes his glasses off to show them his eye <laughs> just exploded <laughs> right that is just like no it's enormous. all right <laughs> they're like damn oh so funny so good that's uh yeah another unforgettable moment truly Phase on Love is in this as Big Worm. Mm -hmm. What do you think um, of the uh, What do you think of the hair? Uh, his perm, <laughs> big perm. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he is. It's just, it's really funny. It just works really well for his character. I just uh, always have a chuckle with him and his uh, car that he rides up in, and then the ice cream truck that he <laughs> later rides up in. Very funny. Very funny uh, stuff. Okay, Felicia. Uh, Felicia. Teach, teach yes. us about Felicia. Andy. Angela Means plays Felicia, who is uh, Debbie's sister, and uh, is she always looks strung out. She always needs something, and it's it is a moment. It's a such a small moment in this film. It really is because she keeps coming over and bugging Smokey and Craig about borrowing something. First, it's the microwave, and not like coming in and cooking something she actually wants to borrow the microwave right <laughs> and then she wants to borrow his car and she keeps wanting to borrow things his is uh, vcr all these different things and it's a small moment in this film when Smokey says no i'm not going to loan you my car and craig looks at her and or actually he kind of looks away and is just like bye felicia and that moment it was it was nothing in this movie other than a small kind of diss to say you know i'm done talking to you go away. It turned into, and it, it actually, starting probably around, I don't know, 2000, I think it 
it started 2008. Actually, I'm looking up right now. December 7th, 2008, um, user Pimpin817 submitted into the Urban Dictionary by Felicia, describing the phrase as a way to bid farewell to someone who is deemed unimportant, and uploaded the clip and everything. And from that single entry, it has turned into a huge internet meme. You have people from uh, TV shows, reality shows. There is an actual TV show itself called by Felicia. Uh, just the memes fly around. P- characters in TV shows say it uh, to people. It, mm-hmm. It's like constant. News reporters say it. It is a full-on internet thing now that they started with this uh, with this simple, simple line by Felicia do you, right do from you this say great it? film. Do you take it? I have it? said it before. I don't say it often, but I actually have said it before. I say it to my kids. <laughs> That's why before the show, my uh, daughter was in here and and you said it to her, and she said, this movie is what that's from? <laughs> so I said it to them. <laughs> and now they know. Oh, now they know. no. You know, we've talked a lot about all these other people, but we have talked very little little about Cube and Tucker. Yeah, right? And okay. we really should. We should talk about Cube and Tucker. Uh, Cube, Cube is an I, interesting guy because he's the and and when you hear uh, Gray talk about Cube, uh, he says you know Cube was the toughest man in America at this time. And when you take someone you're used to delivering on hard hitting social issues and hardcore gangster rap, and who has a hardcore point of view on politics, you would never think comedy. Gray says it's, it it scared him to death to uh, to to attempt to direct Cube in this kind of movie. Yeah, and because people weren't expecting it, but he said once he started getting pages, because Cube went on tour over in Europe and was faxing pages every day to Gray, and as Gray read the stuff, he's like, oh, now I'm seeing it, and he could totally see it. And actually, first, he thought, maybe Cube should play Debo, because <laughs> that was kind of the the tone that he set. Uh, but it, with him and Craig, he he just, I don't know, it ended up being magic what they created here. And he definitely has a little bit of his NWA vibe here, but he created a whole character. And that's something I've always loved, loved about Cube since uh, Boys in the Hood. Uh, it's just like, this is a guy who gets it when it comes to creating an on-screen presence and just kind of being that character. I think he's fantastic in this. And uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to talking to him, uh, talking about him later in the year when we get to talk about Anaconda. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That too. This is going to be the year of ice cube. (laughs) Well, on this show, I think those two movies. Oh, well, four. It'll be four. four Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's great. Big year. All right. Loving it. Uh, yeah, I'm. I I think he's a. I, I think he's just terrific in this movie. He's a great straight man to Tucker too, um, and you know he's got a little bit of that unpredictable tough guy, unpredictable sort of player, unpredictable kind of ladies man, and and then when he walks in the house, the way his demeanor sort of changes when he's inside versus outside the house when he's in the room with his mother and sister when he's outside the house when he's you know alone or with with tucker like there is a whole context shift that i think is really palpable that he's capable of bringing to this character and uh, i think it's uh, uh i i think that's one of the things that makes this movie so funny is that he is still a child 
and he's wearing these coats of all of the trappings of, you know, tough guy when he needs it, whatever. But this really is his journey of uh, becoming a man, right? As when yeah, he learns yeah. to put the gun down, like that's what the whole movie leads to is that climax at the end when he stands up and fights for himself, where he puts down the implements of violence and fights his own fight against the impossible enemy, the impossible boss fight, right? Uh, and and I think I think Cube does it. Also, another element that I found to be really interesting that he obviously chose to write into the story is that he's not a pothead like Smokey is, right? right. He doesn't smoke. And, and and Smokey is like, I know you don't smoke weed, but I'm going to get you high today. And that's like his whole thing. And, and we see him smoke a joint for the first time and go tripping for the first time. And he's mm-hmm. seeing, he's seeing Big Worm's head in his cabinet in the kitchen, you know, and he's just like, what is going on? And so, I like that we're seeing this journey with somebody. It's not just like Cheech and Chong with like two total stoners who are just trying to get high again. Yeah. It, this is like a totally kind of different shift. And I appreciate that he kind of kind of allowed for that to be a part of the story. Me too. All right. So now Tucker. Tucker, who you fell in love with in The Fifth Element. <laughs> oh. Just get the story straight. Uh. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Why do we always have to bring that up? Oh, God, I hate that. Low-hanging fruit, man. So, yeah. You make it, it, it really too easy. Is. I do. I do. <laughs> you know, let me just say, Rush Hour. <laughs> yes. Rush Hour 2. Never saw Rush Hour 3, but I'm sure I'd appreciate it more than Fifth Element. Oh, you absolutely would. I, I think uh, they're all, I mean, he's just, he is the the guy that is just great to be kind of unhinged, unleashed. I There isn't a... There isn't something that I think I've ever seen him do on screen that isn't uh, that isn't funny in some way, shape, or form. He's just a very talented guy. It, even for me, even in the fifth, ele- fifth element, I think he's I, I think he's he's got something. We talked about it when we talked about Silver Lightning's playbook. Even when he's now more mature and just being a little more serious, he's yeah. still there's still humor with him. He still carries that, and I think I really appreciate that. And I, I just, uh, man, what he does here, the what he brings to screen, and he had done a few little like very very small bit parts in some movies and stuff. Really, it was Def Comedy Jam that uh, he was known for. And what he brings here is like this whole presence that you're like, oh, this is Chris Tucker and welcome to the world. And we are ever grateful for what you are providing us now because it's it just like everything in the movie is so spot on perfect. Well, and he's, he's a guy who's incredibly capable uh, and and adept at using his whole body like as an actor, like he is very aware of his comedic assets. And I think in this movie, he he brings every one of those to bear the way he uses his mouth, the way he uses his tongue, the way he uses his eyes and his eyeballs. Uh, he is able to do things to his face that are just naturally funny. And when you add the 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 breadth of tone that he's able to bring from his voice, what he has wrought <laughs> to these scenes, I think is is uh, is really exceptional. And and to your point about watching how he has grown, uh, you know, Silver Linings Playbook is, is again, it's just sort of a masterclass. It's a, it's a supporting character in that movie. And yet uh, it is a character that I, I really would love to see more of, you know, that, that kind of guy. It's a little bit of disappointing. And, and um, I did not see Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. I watched a bunch yeah, of features. I uh, either. 
and I just didn't make it to the actual 128 <laughs> frames per second extraordinary. I just, I, yeah, I heard what Ang Lee was doing with it, and I'm like, uh, nah, uh, yeah. Uh, but I'm curious about what he what he did in that movie because yeah. this is kind of his era. And the next thing that he has announced, uh, rumored, is he's coming back for Rush Hour Four. A little disappointed in that. Um, mm. So anyway, I, he is just so funny in this movie. He's so, so good. And and when you hear Cube and Gray talk about him and their experience of working with him now, you know, decades later, um, both of them say, yeah, what we were watching and what we knew then we were watching is welcome to Chris Tucker movie star. Uh, yeah. Because he's he's that good and you can see him be that good right now on set. Especially for a guy who bombed his his right. audition, he just he was so nervous. He just he couldn't get it, and so they actually had him come back and and uh, he nailed it when he came back. But geez, yeah, you know we're, we should keep moving on. But I do have to just throw out uh, Tommy uh, Tiny Lister Jr. as Debo, who's yeah one of the great on screen <laughs> villains. <laughs> yeah, so talk about the immovable object. Just like the neighborhood bully, right? Yeah. And even though he's like, I don't know, mid-20s by now, but he's still riding around on a bicycle beating people BMX up for bike. their money. <laughs> like, it's just like he's he's totally like just the grown-up uh, neighborhood bully. And I just, yeah. it's like, I had so much joy in the fright he, he caused in everybody. How they would always hide their jewelry and <laughs> everything else that they had yeah. when he came around. And that he that could go... Cool right from you know from doing this and go to your favorite with trucker and do the fifth element and play the president <laughs> yeah right <laughs> which is fantastic i'd I, much rather take him than uh, tucker in the fifth element you know i um so i didn't know uh much i wasn't really following him and didn't i i didn't even recognize that his previous career was uh as a basketball player no, a wrestler no, I, wrestler African-American basketball player turned actor first popped up in minor roles such as a prison guard and runaway train and Andy Garcia's bodyguard in eight million ways to die. Well, he also was a wrestler. He was uh, he was um, in the uh, WWF. Was he really? Yeah. Yeah. He was also the and the WCW. So spokesman for uh, Monster Energy drinks. I don't (laughs) think he played basketball. I'm not seeing anything about basketball. Oh, no, in college, I guess, yeah. No, shot put. What? Originally a professional wrestler known by the name Zeus and Z-Gangsta, Tiny left the world of wrestling in the 80s to pursue an acting career. So why does we have competing bios on this guy? No idea. No idea. But I do see he did shot put when he was in college. Um, So I don't know. I don't know where the uh, basketball came from. Wrestling, shot put, and basketball, apparently. Apparently so, yes. But eighty credits in films. Oh, he's busy, and I think he's still uh, still pretty busy. Yeah, Dracula three thousand. Did you catch that one? <laughs> Skip that one. You did. That's weird. Uh, Seems right <laughs> up your alley. The, right. All right. He was in the Humans in a B three. No. He was in Zootopia. Oh. He was a tattooed prisoner in the Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, I did want to just call out for the music. One, the soundtrack's great for the movie. A lot of great songs in this. I have been singing Rose Royce's I Want to Get Next to You mm-hmm. uh, for days now. Um, and do the thing that we did before. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, do that. Uh, that's Go ahead. It. 
I'm not gonna do that. That's the trailer. It's not song. even in this movie. It's in the trailer. Oh, it's in the trailer. trailer. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. One, two, <laughs> From, three, and that, no, go. is that really in the trailer? That is in the trailer. Is it really? Said a hip hop, a hip to the hip to the hip hip hop. You don't stop the rock until the bang bang boom and up jump the boogie to the rhythm is the boogie to beat. That's right. You're there a you real wedding singer. That's that's what I am. <laughs> uh, no, but I did like in the credits how you have music underscore by Hidden Faces. I don't think I've ever seen the score for a film credited as such. Music that's underscore. Funny. Yeah, strange little thing. Um, you know, I did, we didn't mention uh, cinematography by uh, Jerry Lively. And, yeah, I mean, I think that, that I, I think that he captures it well for the speed that they needed to do it. I yeah. think it looks fine. I think they they made it look really nice. So, not yes, not a very big did. or robust career in film. I don't know if he's doing other stuff since. I don't know if he's doing a lot of music videos and other things. But he's uh, done a lot of uh, horror stuff, uh, Hellraiser, uh, some Hellraiser films. Uh, yeah. Son of he Darkness. directed. He moved into directing, like yeah. a lot of cinematographers do right, in the, right. yeah. but just a little before this. But yeah. yeah. So, anyhow, how to do an award season? You know, it wasn't a big award movie. Surprise, really? a lot of stoner comedies aren't. <laughs> but it did have uh, the MTV Movie Awards, of course. Uh, movies like this, uh, they love them. Best Breakthrough Performance, Chris Cooper, or Chris Tucker. I don't know where I'm getting Chris Cooper. Uh, best Breakthrough <laughs> Performance by Chris Tucker. He lost to George Clooney in From Dusk Till Dawn. Mm. You know, I can see why they would give it to George Clooney. Uh, for that, oh, but yeah. Um, yeah, I am. Yeah, I, I feel like I could go either way here. Best comedic performance, uh, Tucker. He lost to Jim Carrey for Ace Ventura when Nature Calls. You know, I feel like in context of it being a sequel, I feel like Jim Carrey probably already did everything he needed to do in the first one. Um, I, although I think I preferred the sequel. Um, I don't know. I feel you like you did I would have given when Nature Calls. Really. I feel like I did. I honestly can't remember. I just, I remember him singing uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang as he drives around and the whole shakaka and everything. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't stand up. And I think now watching this movie. I feel like the first one doesn't stand up at all. The first one is really offensive to watch now. It's hard to watch those movies now. And this one, I, I I really struggle with it because this one, you know, it just feels in hindsight like, oh, Right. The white rubber face guy won and not the black <laughs> rubber face guy. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Right. right. Kind of, yeah. Chris Tucker should have won. Uh, best on screen duo, uh, Tucker and Cube. They lost to Tommy Boy, David Spade, and Chris Farley. I stand by that. Uh, you know, I only just watched that for the first time. And it's probably one of those things since I saw this one first, I would yeah. pick this one over Tommy Boy. Oh, so. did I hear a niner in there, Andy? <laughs> And then at the All Deaf Movie Awards from 2016, it had a few, I'm not sure, it looked like a lot of recent, like 2016 films in it, so I'm not, I don't know anything about the All Deaf Movie Awards. Uh, They must have some categories where they just pull stuff in from older stuff, like in the most quoted movie category, in in which case this film won, and the Best Bad Mother Award, uh, Tommy Tiny Lister and Phase on Love were both nominated in that category, but probably canceled each other out as they both ended up losing to Denzel Washington in Training Day. Yeah, I can see that, too. Yeah, me too. All right. How about at the box office? 
Well, Grand Company had a cool $3.5 million to work with for this film, which is about $5.9 million in today's dollars. The movie opened April 26, 1995, on a very busy weekend opposite John Carpenter's remake of Village of the Damned, Top Dog, Destiny Turns on the Radio, A Pyromaniac's Love Story, and four other limited-release indie films. This one debuted in the number two spot as it wasn't quite strong enough to knock While You're Sleeping out of the top spot, which it was in for its second week. That being said, this one stayed in the top 10 for six straight weeks before dropping out from the big summer releases. Friday went on to earn almost 27.5 million domestically and just barely 750,000 internationally, giving it a total adjusted gross of 47.4 million and an adjusted profit per finished minute of $456,000. It earned back a solid eight and eight times its budget, giving Cube, Gray, Cooper, and team the runway they needed for a sequel. Oh, and a sequel they got. I'm uh, excited to watch it. I can't believe after all these years, I never followed up with any of the other Friday movies. This one, I guess, was I just good enough that I right, didn't have right. to. And so I, I think we probably need to take it to the mat. I think we should. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies we've talked about on this fil- on this show. However, if you swipe over in your show notes and you tap the word flickchart, You'll go straight to this movie in the Flickchart catalog where you can add it to your list and see how it stands up against ours. First up, Friday or The Birdcage. I'm gonna oh, I'll Friday. definitely take Friday. Yeah. Friday or Time Crimes. Oh, no, Ooh. Andy. I know. That's I mean, Time one. Crimes. But I gotta go Time Crimes, yeah. That makes me sad, though. Yeah. Friday or Glengarry Glen Ross. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> No. It's going to be like this. Yeah, it's going to be uh, Glenn Gary. You're going to be like this, are you, Flickchart? Oh, I got to go Glenn Gary. Yeah. Friday, are you in the mood for love? <laughs> uh, in the that's, mood for love, I think. That's a visually beautiful movie and a very touching film, but I'm going to say yeah. Friday. I'll, I would definitely put Friday on first. Okay, I'll give it to you. That's fine. Friday, or being there. Oh, Hal Ashby. Uh, this is another one where I, I, I'll put Friday on first. Uh, and I would say being there. Really? But yeah. Yeah. But I'll, I, I really, I just love that film. But I'll, I'll give All it, right. I'll give you Friday though. You're right. You know, it. I hated being there. What? What? <laughs> what? I just love that film. <laughs> All right. Next up, Friday or Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Friday. I'll say Friday. All right. Friday or Interstellar? Interstellar. Boy, did that change for me, uh, my second viewing. I will say Interstellar as well. Outstanding. Friday or the Maltese Falcon? Oh, I gotta go Maltese Falcon. Yeah, Maltese Falcon for me. Friday or Rocky 2? Yeah, I think Rocky 2. I feel like I'm gonna say Friday. Really? I I don't remember Rocky 2 very well. It was I, essentially Rocky 1.5. Come on. It was like Rocky know, 1 and 2. One big movie, and there's the one fight, it's, and then there's the, the other where, redemptive right. fight. Come on. Right. Apollo feels guilty and yeah, brings him back. And All right. Come on. Rack it up. I'm going to say Friday. One, one, two, three. three scissors. Screw you. Friday Nobody days. cares. <laughs> well, it's only one spot above. Friday landed at about 177, just over Rocky 2 and 178. Uh, it landed, uh, it's out of 458 films on our chart. That puts it at uh, about a 61% or about three out of five stars. Well, that's too low. Too low. 
judging by my own flick chart, how to do on yours? Uh, too low for mine as well. It landed on my own flick chart in spot 1,097 out of 4,382, or a 75%. Well, luckily, I'm here because <laughs> this movie landed at 187 out of 1,454 movies, which is an 87%. And if I'm to go by the algorithm over at letterbox.com slash the next reel, this should be four and a half star movie. Oh, Andy, it's it's a five star dalliance over there does it does it make it to five stars what do you think wow wow uh for me it's a four star four star film i feel like it could uh, uh it it's it's only going to go up from there though pete on subsequent viewings it's just a film to love and enjoy so four stars right now but it can easily creep its way up you know what i'm gonna lock in I'm going to lock in a four and a half star for us collectively by giving it the full five. Look the at full you. Monty, Andy. Look at you. I was Rack hoping you'd up. do that. Yep. There you yep. go. With a heart. And I am totally okay with that. It's such a delightful movie. Um, what uh, Cube and Gray and Tucker <laughs> created with this film and uh, and DJ Pooh. I mean, it's just it is just such a fun, fun movie. So I'm looking forward to watching the sequels. Can I ask you a question, though? Uh, you can ask me one question. This uh, Is there a director's cut of this movie? You know, I'm glad you said that, because the, the one that I uh, rented from the library, it does say it's the director's cut, but I couldn't find anything referencing, like, what changed. And the length doesn't seem that different or anything. So I, that's a great question. I just don't know. Hmm, that's interesting. My uh, version of it is old. I have no reference of director's cut on mine. And uh, so I don't know, but I feel like there are a lot of complaints about a director's cut and pacing and all kinds of things. I wonder if you and I, what what our differences are. Watch party. Well, here, let me see. Friday, now that you ask this. Let's do some real-time follow-up. That's right. Director's cut, five minutes longer than theatrical cut. As with any director's cut, I'd like to have the option of... That's not really saying what changed. The two differences I caught are the incorporation of different dialogue during the refrigerator scene between, between Craig and his father, uh, as well as some minor changes when Craig partakes of Smokey's product. Other than that, the film is left mostly intact. Hmm. So, not big changes. Nothing I noticed from my recollection. So... Uh, I think it's pretty small, but I apparently did watch the director's cut. I just do not remember it at all. All right. Fair enough. Well, uh, raising the glass to next Friday. Next Friday coming up when the movie ends. Our conversation begins. Amazon giveth, Andrew. As Amazon always doeth. For stoners, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, there are a lot of people who are mad about this movie in the one-star ranks. Most people like this movie. I would say the abundance of attention is in higher in the star rating. And I would say most of the people who are mad about this movie, who are the one-star raters, are mad because of the director's cut. Yes. They do not like the changes made. They and, are furious. Wow. Yeah. And Legion.
Uh, yes, but there are. are some people who don't like this movie for other reasons. Um, would you like to go first? Why don't you take it away this time? I will. Thank you, sir. You are a gentleman. Thank you. I come from truth and nothing but who says for stoners, maybe. I don't know how any person with morals could think this is a good movie. Foul language, drug use and laziness are promoted in this movie. I did watch this as a teen and I loved it. But I was also smoking weed at the time. As an adult who now has a brain and values, this movie bored me, and I was just disgusted. The acting is great. Smokey is pretty funny at times, but that is all. Unless you are a pothead who just wants to pass the time watching some no-brain comedy, watch something else. There are many movies that are funny to watch, even if you're high. I live in Colorado, and weed is legal here. I agree it's good for people with medical issues, but to glorify getting high, not good. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, there's, Andy. There's somebody it, who doesn't like stoner comedies. <laughs> what a mixed message. I loved it as a teen, <laughs> but I was also smoking weed at the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, clearly, they don't quite remember. Right, right. <laughs> and then, and then the little pivot at the end, the little political statement at the end, I think is delightful. Right. Cherry on top. Exactly what we needed. Yep. What do you got? <laughs> well, I've got a one star by Joan Smith, who who screams her post. I'm not going to scream it for her, but it is all caps. Why don't they sell original items instead of spinoff garbage such as this? This is the worst piece of manure ever. Even though I checked it out on Amazon, which they displayed similar, cl similar clips, it's a nasty orange-brown picture that jumps out at you like the horror movies, so there's no story, no picture, not even deserving a star. It just is as I described it before, only worse. Would not buy this garbage crap. You'll hate it more than I do. <laughs> wow. The best, the best is Dom, uh, Dom left a comment who said, this is why you don't do meth right here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How's that opioid <laughs> epidemic treating you? <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, well, this was a, a delightful collection and always fun to plumb the depths. Thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. 
Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.